You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Amanda. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, and it's Sarah. So um, today we're going to talk about the case of the babes in the woods. And I want to clarify a couple things first. So there are a couple different cases that go by the same moniker, but we're talking about the one in PA, obviously, since this is a PA podcast. Um, Two other cases that I know of that use this name are both in different countries. So one is a case from England. The other is from Canada. Uh, but the case that we're talking about today is the first case that was known as Babes in the Woods. And it is, of course, one that occurred in Pennsylvania. Um, quick trigger warning that this case does involve children. Um, there's kind of an up and a down with this case. Um, I mean, there's a lot of downs in this case, but one is definitely that, as we'll find out very quickly, um, there are three young girls that have died. So if that is something that will upset you to the point that you can't listen, um, you can tune in again next week. But otherwise, uh, on November 24th, 1934, three unidentified girls' bodies were found by two men who were hiking to find firewood. The bodies were found dead, tucked under a blanket as if they were going to bed and laying in a field. When the men were walking to find the firewood, they actually saw a green blanket and went to investigate it, and they thought that it might just be like a, a drunk guy that fell asleep in a field or um, like a homeless person that was just kind of trying to lay low, and they discovered that it was definitely a lot worse than either of those. Um, there also was a blanket beneath them as well. The two older sisters were found kind of cuddling with the younger sister, which breaks my heart even more. Uh, this was often compared to the Lindbergh kidnapping and stated as being like the biggest tragedy since the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Um, I don't think it was too far after it. I think they were pretty close in time, but I forget exactly when the Lindbergh kidnapping was. Um, but anyway, it was compared to that a couple times. So this took place in Southern Cumberland County on South Mountain near where Pine Grove Furnace State Park is um, kind of outside of Carlisle. And there's actually a road marker at the spot where their bodies were found. You can see it along PA Route 233, which is now Centerville Road, um, if you're driving in the area. So along with finding the girls, the men who were actually an uncle and a nephew named John Clark and Clark Jardine also found various personal items along the lines of uh, clothing, much of which was soiled, towels and children's books, and of course the blanket they were all tucked under, all of which had tags cut out of them that could have helped to reveal an identity. What were they soiled in? Like blood? Did they, were they covered in dirt? It wasn't specified. Um, I'm assuming it was just like bodily soil, um, like bathroom soiled, um, because 
none of them were, and we'll get into cause of death in a little bit, but um, they died by some sort of asphyxiation, most likely. Um, so there was really no blood to be absorbed into the clothing. So I'm just assuming it was just either like bathroom or just like dirt or something like that. Okay. I was just trying to think like if it was soiled from maybe dirt, like they were, they were drunk there or dragged, I guess is the proper word. So it would, what was mostly soiled were the clothes that they were not in. It was like okay. these extra clothes that they found from what I understand, but I could be understanding that wrong. So these items were found within a bag or a suitcase. And among them was also a men's gray shirt from a store in California. The only clue that they really got from it was the fact that the name Norma was written in the book um, on the, I think it was on the front cover of the book and it was written in like kids handwriting. Like you can always tell the difference between a kid writing their name and an adult putting a kid's name in a book. Um, so the, the name was written in kid writing. Now, there are a couple of mixed stories with this. So the most common that I've seen is that this uncle and nephew pair found the bag or the suitcase or whatever, um, and that it was nearby. But um, there is also claims that it was found a few miles along the same road. Um it definitely seems like this uncle and nephew pair found the stuff, but they may have been walking further, like after police took over things or whatever and found it. I'm not entirely sure. Um, there's just some different thoughts on whether it was right there with them or a couple miles up the road. Originally, it wasn't determined how they died, but in a December 1st, 1934 news report, it was stated that they died by, quote, suffocation by external means. Um, but there was an interview where a, a friend of the coroner at the time said that the coroner never really could pinpoint with 100% certainty exactly what caused their death. And that's why we end up with some of the theories that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I think it's just most commonly accepted that they were suffocated somehow. Um, but it's, there's no way of being a hundred percent sure at this point. So this completely wrecked the community. People in the area flocked to see the girls either out of morbid curiosity or a desire to help identify them, maybe both. So they just left them out on display for the public? So I was trying to find details on that, and I know the newspaper printed the one photo that we'll have on the blog and on Instagram, um, and it was printed everywhere. It Like any print source that you could get in the area had this picture on it. And I know that I think it said at least a couple hundred came to actually see the girls. So I'm not sure if that is, you know, people from the local police departments, if that was general public. It felt weird to me, but I couldn't find definitive answers on exactly how that went down. And in addition to sending out the picture to all the papers. They also made death masks of the girls' faces. 
Now, is there a reason why for that? Because I know for some cases, if the face is like badly beaten, they'll do kind of like a death mask for when they're getting buried. It, but it doesn't sound like their faces were, you know, brutally disfigured. No, that's a good question. So the reason that they made the death masks is because they were likely already dead for about two to four days before they were discovered. And they wanted to make sure that they could cast the faces as they appeared before too much like decomp and whatnot set in. So it was more so so that they could bury the girls, but still have what their faces looked like so that they could still identify them. I see. Um, now, eventually they were identified, but I'm going to make you hold on to the suspense for who they were for a little bit, even though if you read the episode description, you already know their names. So the next day, November 25th, 1934, a man and his niece were found dead by gunshot wounds. Uh, she had two wounds, one that went through her torso. It actually went through her exposed breast and one that went through her head. He had one wound that is assumed to be self-inflicted right through his skull. Uh, now, this happened outside of Altoona, Pennsylvania, at the Spring Meadow Station on the Hollidaysburg branch of the Pennsylvania Railroad. The adults were identified as Elmo Noakes, 32, and his niece, Winifred Pierce, 18. Um, and I will mostly refer to Winifred as Winnie through the rest of this. Uh, that was a nickname that I found looking through some different things that came from family that they did call her Winnie. So how does this presumed murder-suicide in Altoona relate to the three lifeless child bodies found in Southern Cumberland County over 100 miles away? At first, the police thought that they were entirely unrelated. They said, if it's related and there's three girls that died here and then the two adults here, they wouldn't have had enough time to be in both places. They're too far apart. Um, but then it was discovered that these deaths are related because the victims are related. So remember, I said the adults were Elmo Noakes and Winifred Pierce. The three girls were identified as Cordelia Noakes, who is eight, DeWilla Noakes, who is 10, and Norma Sedgwick, who was 12. Elmo was the biological father to Cordelia and DeWilla, and Norma was the child from their mother's first marriage. So the girl's mother, Mary Isabel Hayford, had married Norma's father, but then when they split, she ended up meeting and marrying Elmo. Uh, they were married in 1925, had Duilla and Cordelia, and then spent nearly a decade as a family unit until Mary died in January of 1932. So she died as a result of septicemia hemolytic, which is a bacterial infection that can cause the rupture of red blood cells after a self-induced abortion went wrong. Um, I'm thinking, looking at the times, um, it may have been induced because we're looking at depression era and they already have three kids and we find out later that they were already struggling. Um, so it's not confirmed that that's why, but um, that's just kind of what I'm assuming. I know it was pretty big during the Great Depression, 
and women would use things like coat hangers and broken salt shakers, crochet, yeah, <laughs> crochet hooks and bicycle spokes and even umbrellas. And some of them would use herbs or trauma or substances to terminate a pregnancy. But uh, most of the time they ended up causing more harm or death to themselves and not actually causing an abortion. Jeez. Oh, the, like the, the thought of doing that, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures, but the thought of doing it puts me in physical pain. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm that. having a hard time digesting that. Yeah. Concept. The, the list of tools that were used, used quote unquote tools. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is well before Roe versus Wade and, right. um, but at that time they couldn't afford it, like you said. And so they resorted to that. I know the one medication that I read about, um, most of the time ended up killing the mother as well. Yeah. And I think it was, I mean, it was a lot of trial by fire, like, Hey, let's see if this works. And then whoops. Oh, everyone's dead now. Um, but some people get a little bit sketched out because they hear that Elmo's wife died, but it wasn't any sort of murder or any sort of nefarious act or anything like that. Um, up until this point, the family was living in Utah. Uh, when Mary died, Elmo and the girls moved to California where they would be closer to Elmo's sisters, one of whom had the daughter named Winnie. Um, so Winnie was in her late teens when she dropped out of high school and she started to take over some housekeeping for her uncle and cousins. Then in late 1934, at the beginning of November is when they all packed up and left California. According to one source that I found, Elmo had told Winnie that he was going to Redding with the girls. She may have assumed that he meant Redding, California. Um, but Based on where they ended up, it is likely that he was actually talking about Redding, Pennsylvania, especially because he had experience in the industrial area of work, um, industrial field, I guess, and, you know, Allentown and Bethlehem and kind of Eastern PA was booming in a couple industries at that point. So um, that's speculation, but it kind of ties with the work that he had already had. So some information about the family dynamic. Apparently Elmo's family did not always get along. I mean, what family does, but it seemed to be especially rough um, with them. So his brother even said that he himself had moved to Arizona for a time just to get away from his family. Now he did eventually return to California, um, and like I said, he only went to Arizona. He wasn't going to the other coast. Um, but he did recognize that there was a need to kind of take a step away from the family for a little bit. Now, for the most part, this really seems to be falling on the relationships with the sisters. So apparently Winnie's parents and Winnie's mom was Elmo's sister, were allegedly fighting a lot, and it made a hostile environment for her to live in. That's what encouraged her to then drop out of high school and move in with Elmo and the girls in the first place. Um, but it's 
unknown if she even did move in. And we'll talk a little bit later. There's another source I found that said she went home every night. So it's, I'm not really sure how horrible her home life was or wasn't, um, just coming from some different sources. There is a lot of speculation, though, that Elmo and Winnie were romantically involved and that that would be why she moved in with them, or even if she didn't live there, why she would have gone to Pennsylvania with them. Now, that added tension within the family, um, but the autopsy report actually stated that there was no sign that she had ever been pregnant and that she was actually still a virgin. So the idea of lovers is realistically tossed out pretty quickly, um, but I mean, it is, it's sensational, so I guess people want to cling to it. So just to play devil's advocate, um, I mean, it can actually be difficult to determine virginity and how much did they really know about that in the 30s. So, I mean, I'm sure it was pretty clear if she had never been pregnant. But as far as a sexual relationship, I'm wondering, you know, if you can even really fully determine that. Yeah, that's a valid point. And I don't know enough about that world. Um, but that's a good point. I mean, you could, but even still, it doesn't have to be like sexual, uh, covers a couple different topics. Like it doesn't have to be like full on sex. It could be. No, but I mean, it can, it could be anything leading up to that. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship could have still been inappropriate. Right. And I mean, Like you said, it's speculation, so I don't want to add to the sensationalism. I'm just saying it it could have still been inappropriate, even if it wasn't fully sexual. Right. No, that's that's a very valid point. So after the news of all the deaths made it to the family, so all five made it back to California, um, two of the sisters essentially ganged up against the third, uh, Winnie's mom told her that it was her fault for spreading rumors about Elmo and that that's why he fleed and that, um, Winnie was going to go with him no matter what he did. And they said that if he didn't leave California, then he and the girls never would have died. So basically, you know, it's your fault that your daughter and three nieces and brother-in-law are dead, which is a a lot to throw on a person. Um, so they were actually each given a suspended 90 day sentence for disturbing the peace for harassment, but they continued to claim that they were just trying to help their sister mourn. I mean, I know when I try to help somebody mourn and cope with a loss, I yell at them and tell them that it's all their fault. So yeah, harassment is the way to do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So something else that I found to be a little bit weird was that there was a publication of the Noakes family history, and it says that Winnie died at 18, which we know to be true, but it didn't list any specifics, no cause, no manner, no location, whatever. And that Elmo and the girls died in a car accident. So... Why? And that's not even, like, close to how they died. So why completely put something different? So we'll get into 
in one of the theories kind of what the family believes. And I think it might just be a misinterpretation of auto accident. Um, I think they may just mean like an incident involving the car. Um, there is a theory that we'll get into that kind of blames this on something within the vehicle. So um, I'm not sure if maybe they're trying to tie it to that. But Elmo didn't die with the girls. So right. there's still that piece that doesn't quite line up. Um, and there's actually an article from the Sentinel from 2014 that brings in Winnie's nephew. And he said all he knew for a really long time was that he had this Aunt Winifred. She died really young in these mysterious circumstances. And this case, like the Babes in the Woods case, was never discussed within the family. Um, in 1990, Gary Davis, who is this nephew inherited a suitcase from his grandmother, Pearl. So if my family tree is working out right, I'm thinking that would be Winnie's mother because Winnie was his aunt. Um, anyway, in the suitcase, he had all sorts of found all sorts of newspaper clippings about the events, some personal items from Winnie and condolence letters from central Pennsylvania residents. One of the letters came from a Carlisle woman named Mamie Zinn. The letter she sent was dated December 4th, 1934. And in it, she detailed what she saw as one of the first people to actually see the girl's bodies. Um, part of the letter is, quote, I will never forget the way they were laid between expensive wool blankets, just like they were asleep. My first thought was of the loving hands that must have laid them away. Gary actually did come to PA in 2006 just to uh, kind of visually put some pieces together. And we'll talk a little bit more about him a little bit later on. So it was definitely someone very close to them since they were laid out under blankets like that. And murderers are more likely to do that if they have a previous relationship with the victim. Right. And... So. So all of the theories, when we get there, the theories are mostly questioning why and how and not so much who. Mm -hmm, um, right. So we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. Um, but that definitely lines up with this kind of major piece of the theory. Mm -hmm. So if we take a look at the timeline where they go from California to Pennsylvania, um, it all really happened within a week. So according to reports, the five of them left on or near November 10th, 1934. On this day, he bought a Pontiac sedan for $46. And then um, they assume that he left the same day because... They arrived in Waynesboro on November 17th, and it would take about a week to do the 3,200 miles that sits between them. Um, someone else did that math with mileage and driving, and I'm just trusting that they know how to do math because I'm a reading teacher, and reading teachers are afraid of numbers. So... Some reports do say that they may have left on the 11th, but either way, it was, you know, that 10th or 11th 
date that they headed east. Um, now, the weird thing is that when Elmo left, he was still owed $50 from his work. So he had a paycheck sitting there made out to him for $50 and he left it. Um, it, it seems weird. I mean, $50 is a big deal at any point, but like $50 was huge during the great depression. It, it strikes me as odd. Um, but like I said, they left California about a week later, they ended up in Pennsylvania. So $50 is more than what he bought that car for. So right. I'm guessing we're thinking that they left in a hurry since he let all that money go. Potentially, um, especially if either A, he was trying to get away from his family or B, if he was trying to make it to Pennsylvania to try to get a job within railway systems or um with mining or with the steel anything like that maybe he was trying to get out as fast as he could just to get to the new place but i mean you figure you you buy like a used car from even if it's not a dealership you buy it from a person and it's only a couple years old i mean you might pay like five grand ten grand and, you know, if you figure, even if you stay on the low end and compare it to today, saying, oh, maybe it would be like $4,000, that check might still be worth like five k today. I mean, I don't want to run away without a check for that. Yeah, so for sure. It just seems, I don't know. Um, I'm even not now, sure. I'd pick up $50 on my way out of town. <laughs> So for reference, a gallon of milk was 26 cents back then. That could buy so much milk. So if we look at what the value of the car was, so $46 in 1934 was $902.88 in 2021 dollars. So, I mean, still, it's probably a paycheck for close to 1000 You figure it's a little bit over... Let me see what it says. Um, yeah, really close to it. It's nine eighty one. So he left basically a nine hundred eighty one dollar check behind to move across the country. And I mean, in a time during the Great Depression, when I mean everyone needs money, so even now being comfortable a thousand dollars would be amazing but if you're like starving then right. it means even more to you right so there was an eyewitness report that a family matching their description was seen at a restaurant in philly on november 18th um, the description was a father and a young mother and three young girls which i mean if you look at all of them, you could see where it would look like a father and maybe a young mother instead of a father, a niece, and three girls when you just randomly see a family somewhere in the 1930s. Um, it was noted that the three girls had to share a meal because the family didn't have enough money to get them each their own meal. Um, I'm not sure which restaurant it was or where exactly it was in the city, but it does place them in Southeastern PA on the 18th. Um, 
From November 19th to the 21st, Elmo, Winnie, and the girls were staying at a campground. It's estimated that the girls died either shortly before or shortly after they left this campground. And again, it kind of depends on what theory we roll with a little bit later as to whether it would be before or after. Uh, The girls were then found on November 24th, and Elmo and Winnie had started to head toward Altoona in the time between leaving the bodies and then their own deaths. Um, Some reports say that they actually had car trouble, and they hitched a ride the rest of the way to where they ended up, which was, like I said, that train platform. Um, There is evidence of their car being found on the side of the road on November 22nd. There weren't any plates on the car, but they were able to search the VIN, and it was identified as the car that Elmo had purchased on November 10th. So um, it was just found on the side of the road. It wasn't with them at all. And then Winnie sold her coat for $2.55 and used the money to buy the 22 caliber rifle that would eventually be the death of her and Elmo. So once they bought the gun, they went out to a secluded area near this train stop, like I said, and fulfilled their plans. Um, Now, this isn't a train station like we would typically think of. It was basically like a platform. Um, that a train would just kind of stop at almost like how you would picture a modern day bus stop or um, even some of the train lines that run still have basically just like a platform and steps that you just hop on. Um, That's kind of how this was set up. I do want to point out here that this timeline is sort of a guess for some of the events. Um, Some reports I found have said that Elmo and Winnie were found on the 25th. Some reports say that they were found five days after the discovery of the girls, which would put it on the 29th. And then others say they were found on the 24th the same day as the girls. Um, most commonly I am seeing that it was the 25th, but all those different things are kind of thrown in there. Um, if we're saying it was two to four days after they died, that they were found, maybe the reports are trying to say that it was five days after the girls were killed, because then that would put it at that 25th mark. But I'm, I'm not totally sure. I just wanted to kind of point that out, that the date might not be 100% accurate. Um, The girls were definitely discovered on November 24th. No discrepancy with that. So then they spent less than a full week in PA before they died. They were on a very limited budget because Elmo, of course, didn't have work. Um, And it's suspected that they just completely ran out of money within this week. And that's kind of what leads us into these theories. So I know I said earlier that there's kind of a a positive and a negative, like an up and a down to this case. And of course, the children being involved is the negative piece. Um, Kind of the quote unquote good news of the case is that it's barely a cold case. Um, It's widely assumed and accepted that their father was involved in their death. It's unknown whether Winnie helped Elmo at all with anything. Um... But kind of with each theory, it varies a little bit. So um, 
The first thing that I find on any website, in any article, is that the family was under so much stress from the depression and the lack of money that Elmo thought the best thing to do would be to just stop the suffering and have the girls die of suffocation rather than starvation because starvation is such a slow death. Um, when the autopsy report was completed, it was noted that the girls had not eaten in roughly 18 hours. So then it's thought that Elmo and Winnie died by gunfire because of either remaining stress with the depression or out of guilt. Um, doesn't really explain why two days apart, but or however many days apart. Um, but that's kind of the most common thought. And looking at the 18 hours, it's possible that that meal they had at that diner in Philly was the last one. Because that would have been, that was the 18th. So it would make sense then if they're saying that they think they may have died on the 20th. I'm just putting those pieces together. So another theory I've seen thrown around a couple times is the thought that Elmo and Winnie were lovers who were fleeing to start a new life and that that might have led to a murder-suicide pact. I mean, like I said earlier with the autopsy results, I don't know if we want to go with the fool out lovers part, but we kind of already talked about how that could still be happening. Ignoring that part and just focusing on the murder suicide idea. Um, I think it's slightly plausible. Um, she did sell her coat in late November in Pennsylvania. And then that same day used the money to buy the gun um, I wouldn't think that a Californian would sell a coat after moving to PA right at the start of cold weather. I mean, there might just be something that we don't know about. Is it possible that maybe she sold the coat because they were heading back west, but knowing that the girls were murdered, that they needed protection from possibly like the law? Maybe. Um, I would say that's possible. Um, I think they got, I think they sold her coat and then got the gun after they arrived, like, in the Altoona, Hollidaysburg area, um, like, very shortly before they died. But I may have uh, dates mixed up, um, just, again, because the timeline wasn't fully documented because it was the 30s. So we don't know for sure, um, but just maybe, but they had abandoned their car and it seemed very intentional, but that might just be my own lens of looking at it. Um, there's also speculation that for one reason or another, Elmo just wanted the girls gone. Um, and this is the one that just kind of turns my stomach, some say that he was just exhausted from raising them or that they reminded him too much of their mother who had died or that he really just wanted to be with Winnie or that the Great Depression took too much of a toll on him. Um, he allegedly told this diner owner in Philly, quote, my children are becoming a burden to me, unquote. That kind of really strikes me because I have a kid with autism and... It can be exhausting, but never in the eight years that he's been alive have I ever said to anybody that he was a burden or that I don't want him. 
Like the whole idea of him saying that makes me physically sick. And why would you just say that to a random person? And I also want to add that that was probably the restaurant owner where their last meal was in Philly, I'm assuming. Right. So I'm assuming it's that same place in Philly. Um, And I'm wondering if maybe this is a point in time where he was like, I know what I need to do. I know what I'm going to end up doing and maybe trying to give some sort of clue. Like my children are being a burden to me and maybe someone with a good heart wants to give a little bit of money to help the kids or someone's willing to help with the kids or, I mean, that's a total long stretch, but Maybe if he's at a point where he's kind of already given up, he just loses the filter and says whatever to whoever. But it seems weird. Yeah. It just gives you an idea of, like, his mental state at the time that he was basically feeding them their last supper. Right. I mean, that's got to take a toll on you. I can't. I obviously can't put myself in that situation because I don't have kids, but I especially can't put myself in a situation like that, trying to imagine what I would do. Um, I don't like that theory. And I think it's just because I don't want it to be true. The pieces connect. I just don't enjoy it. So we're going to go kind of back in time a little bit to when I talked about Gary Winnie's nephew. Um, when he was interviewed at one point, he alludes to the idea that it was not murder. And this is where the question that came up earlier kind of comes back in with, um, the automobile accident. So Gary kind of alludes to the idea that it was accidental exhaust poisoning. He says that Elmo and Winnie were going door to door in the Gettysburg area asking for food. And that's a report from people that lived in that area. And that when they were leaving the girls in the car because it was cold, so they would go ask for help but leave the girls in the car, um, that something happened and the girls actually died from the exhaust fumes. The thought is then that they needed to get rid of their bodies. They knew they couldn't afford a funeral, so they tried to put them somewhere where they might be spotted, but that was inconspicuous enough that they could get three girls out of the car. Um, So they drove back roads until they got to the spot where the girls were later found, just kind of leaving the bodies there to be discovered and then moved on to what ended up happening next, which was their own deaths. Um, This is the reigning theory among family members, and that might be why Elmo and the girls are listed as dying in an auto accident, because it would have been a mistake within a car. Um, Now, not all family members necessarily go by, oh, they were definitely in Gettysburg, or they were definitely going door to door, but they all seem to agree that somehow fumes got into the car through a faulty exhaust system or something of that sort. Um, In the interview with Gary, he also stated that there's evidence to suggest that Winnie went home every night after taking care of the girls and that there was no inappropriate or sexual relationship between her and Elmo, um, which kind of aligns with all the other thoughts that we've had so far with um, the two of them. Um, That was just kind of a random piece 
that also came from Gary. So in Pennsylvania, you can't have any exhaust leaks for state inspection, and the end of the exhaust has to exit past the body of the vehicle. Supposedly, this lessens the chances of CO entering the car when you're sitting still and could potentially kill you. I'm sure that vehicles were not sealed nearly as well as they are today, so I feel like that's definitely a possibility that they could have died from the exhaust fumes um, and then maybe went on to kill themselves because of the guilt. But I... Any way that it spun, whether they had their last meal and it was out of guilt because they couldn't take care of them or because this tragedy happened, I feel like they were laid together in a loving way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's something that gets mentioned more than once as I looked through a bunch of the different sources, just the way that they were sleeping um, kind of going with that note from the central PA woman to the family in California, where she said it, you know, it seemed like someone who cared. So, Amanda, maybe you'll have some answers for this since you're a first responder and know about cars. <laughs> but if you are starting to be poisoned by fumes, would you show like a sign of illness or start getting sick? Because I'm assuming they wouldn't all start at the exact same time. Like wouldn't they notice one kid getting sick and take the other guy, take them out of the car? Typically with like CO poisoning, it's headaches and then it can go into nausea, confusion. Um, but if they were sleeping, in the car, like if it was late at night and depending on how long they were left there, it, they're smaller kids. So it's going to hit them faster than it would an adult. And depending on how long they were in the car and maybe like, you know, the nausea and stuff was written off because they haven't eaten for 18 hours. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking that same thing with a lot of the symptoms that you would experience from carbon monoxide poisoning is going to mimic hunger and starvation. Um, I say like the red nose. Um, I've never actually seen someone with CO poisoning that has a red nose, but if it's cold out, I mean, that's easily kind of described away because it's cold out. Your nose true, is red. True. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think you guys both bring up good points. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, it also kind of goes along with the idea that the coroner knew it had something to do with breathing, um, but couldn't figure out the exact cause of death. Um, so. I mean, he didn't say strangulation. He didn't say like there was any signs of like trauma to their face or anything like mm -mm. that. Correct. No so signs of trauma, no bruising, nothing like that. Um, of all the theories, I feel like this one is the most plausible. And I think that's why the family sticks by it, um, because it it is plausible. And especially, you know, a vehicle from the early 30s isn't built the way a vehicle is built in 2021. So there's definitely changes um, that have come about. And, you know, like we've brought up so many times in the past couple episodes, something has to happen in order for 
it to become a law or a mandate or whatever. So, you know, now we have this, um, when you get inspected in PA, you have to check for the exhaust. But the reason that exists is because people used to die from it and get sick from it and whatnot. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a, a viable theory. Um, the last three theories that I have are just kind of throwing these out to the wind because I found them, but there's not a whole lot of support for them. So some people say that it could be a classic family annihilator situation, like a Josh Powell or a Chris Watts who really just wanted to get rid of the family. I don't really believe that theory because then the murder suicide doesn't make sense unless it was just a massive family annihilation that was split over two locations. Um, but that's something that's out on the interwebs. Um, it's also possible that they were just fleeing some of the family issues in general and that they just couldn't survive the escape. They couldn't get work fast enough to get food to eat and whatnot. Um, and lastly, there's also a theory on Wikipedia, and it's briefly mentioned on at least two other sites that I saw that the family was being chased by a gang. There's no other info. I'm not sure what gang, from where, why. Um, I don't know how viable this is, but those are, are three kind of smaller theories that were thrown out as well. So... Even though we don't have firm answers, this case continues to live on and new theories are still being discussed. When it came time to give the girls a burial, the community stepped up and contributed money and land for the burial plots. Uh, the local Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts were even the pallbearers for the funeral service, and the services were held by the local American Legion. Donations for the funeral services came from all over. It came from businesses, from schools, from individuals. And um, my heart just goes out to this set of siblings who each emptied their piggy banks to donate 50 cents for the girls. And that's close to $8 in today's money. So these kids just went to their piggy banks and pulled out $8 to give for these girls. And that just warms my heart. Um, when the girls were buried, Cordelia was buried in the middle with DeWilla and Norma holding her just as they had been discovered. Um, Elmo and Winnie were buried in the same cemetery, but in a different section. And an interesting fact is if you look at Elmo's, um, grave marker, it actually has his death date listed as the day he left California. Actually, it has it listed as, I think, November 9th, but then he bought the car on the 10th. So it's around the time he left California is what his death date is listed as. So I thought that was interesting. That is pretty heartwarming, though. I mean, to end on a high note. So at a time when basically... Everyone was struggling financially. All of these people stepped up to honor a family that had only been in their state for such a short time. I mean, they didn't even, yeah. they knew nothing about these people. So that's pretty great. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I think that's, that's awesome. 
Um, and honestly, that community, that whole area, like Carlisle area, um, is constantly still doing things like this. Um, not finding dead siblings and paying for funerals, but they're constantly contributing to the community. And, um, it doesn't surprise me that people in that area stepped up because it's still so similar to today. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.